Welcome to Vicious Whispers with Mark Tullius, your source for horror, sci-fi, suspense, and all things violent. Hey, what's going on, guys? Thank you so much for joining me today on Vicious Whispers with Mark Tullius. Today we have episode 175. At the end of the episode, I will play the final three sections of Try Not to Die in the Pandemic. I'm not sure what we will play next. Although, next week, I'm having on my friend Ashley Santana, and she will be reading an excerpt from one of her short stories. And then the week after that, I will have on my friend Caitlin Marcel. Caitlin is working on trying not to die at summer camp. She'll have another one after that. So, a lot of changes. One of them is I now will be putting out the podcast and newsletter on Thursdays because my kids are back in school, which means my life doesn't suck. It's just busier. It means I am driving a lot more. Or, and in LA, that sucks because people are, not everyone's an asshole. I'm not going to say that. But there are some asshole drivers. And I'm one of them. I got to admit that I make mistakes just like everyone else. But it is trying, especially when you haven't been smoking weed all week. So, I yeah, I turned 50 tomorrow. I started using cannabis when I was 15, maybe 14. So yeah, about 35 years, pretty solid. I've taken some breaks. I think the longest break I've done is 40 days in a row. And that was for like sober October and I extended it. That was a couple of years ago. My doctor, one of my doctors had recommended I take off seven days a month, seven days in a row. And I really haven't, I don't know if I've ever done that. I might've done it once or twice, but I'm on my fourth day right now. It hasn't been bad except for nightmares. My nightmares are incredibly graphic, incredibly violent. The one I had last night, super disturbing. I can see it right now. Like just, just one part of it was I was chasing my friend. We're running. He trips. He lands on something and his shoulder just blew up. It was just so disgusting. He looked at it, starts barfing and then everything blood it was just it was just nasty and just so realistic so that image has not left me all day but i need to put it into my writing so that is how i will get rid of that shit as far as my goals i had only planned on taking off one day of using cannabis but i was like yeah i'm getting i'm being a little bit more productive a little bit more focused without it I'm realizing I don't need it. Definitely helps with sleep, but I will continue to use it. I haven't made a decision that I want to stop. It doesn't seem like it's negatively affecting my life. So maybe if it's just moderation and taking breaks, that is what I will do. So that is that. Tomorrow I turn 50. That I think that's probably been part of the reason why I was a little depressed this week. Just thinking about that, you know, because I don't want to go out. I don't want to have a party. I don't want to you know, do any of that stuff. I just like to spend time with my wife and kids, but I don't even know if that's going to happen because of volleyball schedule and everything else, but it is what it is. It's just another day. So I'm lucky to have made it this far. Another thing I was thinking about too, I get some pretty fucked up thoughts. I'm not going to tell you a lot of them, but just one of the sad ones I was saying, I was like, man, all right. I'm so much, I had my kids pretty late. I'm turning 50 and my son just turned nine. So I was like, damn, will I even see him turn fifth or my daughter? But who knows? I am in very good health. My doctors always congratulate me on keeping that up. I went from being overweight, high blood pressure to like very high blood pressure where I was on medication to now my blood pressure is 
shit, like 110 over 70. I'm working out all the time. I'm feeling good. I, you know, other than aches and pains and shit like that, I'm doing all right. I've been sticking with this yoga program. I'm happy about that. I've done every day of it. I think I'm on day 10 today or something like that. That has been awesome. That is on Inner Dimensions, the complete practice. There are 80-minute sessions generally. I think on the weekend, I cut two of them a little bit short. I think something was going on. But overall, I'm doing them. Doing good. Glad I'm doing it. It's not always easy. I have been doing them always in the morning. That was a great way to start the day. Now, because of school schedules, trying to get some writing done, all this other stuff, I am now doing like four or five o'clock right before I make dinner. A little bit harder is not what I want to do at that time, but when I do it, it is, yeah, it's definitely what I needed. On the writing front, let's see what's happening. Oh, TBI or CTE, that is on sale for 99 cents for a couple more days. So if you know anyone that played a, you know, a if you know anyone that played a contact sport, whether it be football, lacrosse, rugby, even soccer, soccer is a big one, figure skating, just anything where there might have been blows to the head, especially repetitive ones like heading the ball in soccer or every play in football where you're banging heads or just about. Those are the ones that are very likely to have problems down the road. So lots of these people don't know it. They may have played soccer from a very young age up through high school, stopped, never thought about it again. And now 20 or 30 years later, they are having these problems with their mental health, with their brain health. And so I would love it if you guys would tell friends and family about this book. The reviews are great. A lot of people say it is honest, informative. My goal is to get people to take a look at their mental health, their brain health, whether or not they've dealt with concussions, whether or not they've had traumatic brain injuries, whether or not they're concerned with CTE. I would love it because... Yeah, I think that's one of the things that so many of us do not do. We are not honest with ourselves. We don't reflect on our mental health. We we just kind of bury that shit and be like, okay, whatever. I'm not going to tell anyone. I'm not going to do anything about it. That's just how it is. Mm, that's not the way to do it, especially if you've got kids. I felt like I had that responsibility to do that for my family. If I had not, I would not be sitting here. I would not be talking to you. I would be dead or in prison. I would have been done something fucking really drastic, really stupid. So, yeah, I'm so incredibly grateful to all of my doctors, Dr. Mark Gordon, Dr. Allison Gordon, Dr. Licata, Vital Head and Spine, just so many different people that helped me in different ways in this journey. So, yeah, incredibly grateful. That book is 99 cents on Kindle and $2.99 on audiobook. Untold Mayhem is killing it right now on audiobooks. Sold a lot of copies this month. It is on sale for $2.99. So if you like horror stories, you could pick that thing up. That's actually probably my, I want to say it's one of, although the stories aren't all my favorite, I think I like the Twisted Reunion collection better. This audiobook is way better because it is my first multicast. I think there are nine different narrators on there. So if you haven't checked that out, you can pick that up for $2.99 on Apple, Chirp, and Barnes & Noble. I think that's those are the places where it is on sale. Or you can just search through my old videos and there, I know I have Untold Mayhem short stories at the end of several episodes so you could find them all for free if you like but why go to all that work i'd rather make what 45 cents off of you no i think it's a dollar 25 for each book sold audiobook sold so yeah do that make me rich what else we got oh bright side is out for two reasons one ae santana who i mentioned earlier she runs the thing in the labyrinth book club 
They have a meeting once a month. This next one is Sunday, August 28th. They're reading a book, Bergdorf and Associates. And But the following month, I will be joining them because they are reading Brightside. The book club for Brightside will be on September 25th at 7.30 Pacific Standard Time. Hopefully you guys can join us for that. I will put up reminders and in the newsletter and on the podcast. I'll mention it in the weeks leading up to it. Brightside is my baby, so that's super cool that they want to read it. I'm excited about that. And the second reason I have it up is I now have Brightside, Beyond Brightside, Unlocking the Cage, Ain't No Messiah, and several other books now being distributed widely. So I took them off of Amazon's uh, KDP program where you have to be exclusive, and I am now distributing it everywhere. I haven't put them all on my website yet. I probably will start selling direct one of these days. Just a lot of stuff going on. But I was proud of myself for actually taking that step. And so now you can get them on Apple and wherever else you want to buy your ebooks or from the library too. So that's the other nice thing about having it go wide. Those books are now in the library system. So you can find those. And if your library doesn't have one of the copies of the books, please ask them to carry it. And they should. I think I'm going to be taking all of the books off of KDP, but a couple of them I have to wait a few more months. But I almost forgot. Thank you to everyone that wished my dad a quick recovery, sent well wishes, kind words, prayers, all that stuff. He really appreciated it. Super cool seeing how much, I mean, even just strangers care. So that has been awesome. My neighbor, Luce, who doesn't know my dad, just happened to see a post I put about it. And she sent him a nice letter, a, a gift, and yeah, just stuff like that is just super cool. It makes such a big difference. So thank you to everyone that did that. One of the other things I had mentioned was, and one of the reasons why I was kind of depressed this week was, it's like, shit, am I going to reach my goal of finishing Try Not to Die in the Wild West? Well, you know, not finish, finish, but a solid full draft to give back to John. So we could just finish this thing and get it done. So I move to the next one and then I could be frustrated with that one. And then I want to move to the next one and then I'll be frustrated because I'm not working on my other novels. Yeah, you've heard it before. I know, I know, I know. But anyhow, I have been making good progress. I have to put input all these pages. That shouldn't take me too long. That takes me through chapter 17. And then I just have a small amount more to read. So I am hoping that I can get through it tonight. I'll probably work on that lots of tomorrow while the kids are in school. And that will be that. And then I can just turn it over to John. There are a couple of death scenes I'm not sure of. We need to talk about. I need to go through look at exactly how many types of deaths we had. You know, you don't want to have too many gun deaths. You don't want to have too many horse deaths, you know, stuff like that. So that is a tough one, but that's kind of a cool problem to have because it forces you to be more creative. Yesterday I was looking up, okay, what are some other ways to die? How could they die in the wild west? Which, what have I had not thought of? So it, it makes you, yeah, makes you think. Think outside the box. How can I kill this some bitch? All right, guys. Like I said, I have a pretty busy schedule. I do want to finish this. I want to write my newsletter today, send that off. That will now be on, I think, every Thursdays, unless I'm back to smoking weed, being a slacker, and then it's going to be late on Fridays. But we shall find out. All right, guys, I am going to leave you with Try Not to Die in the Pandemic, the final three scenes narrated by A.J. Carter. Hopefully you guys have enjoyed this. Be sure to stick around for next week when A.E. Santana will be joining me. All right, guys, have an incredible week, and I will talk to you later.
He's only three strides away, but Phoenix isn't far behind. His gun raised. I hate myself for slamming the door shut and bracing my back against it, but I can't risk Amy's life. Gunshots ring out in rapid fire. Shards of wood fly a few inches from my head. I duck down, and the guy crashes into the door so hard it knocks me to my knees. Amy's already at my side and wedges the chair back in place. Help! The guy says, his voice barely audible, but all the sadness seeping through. Someone help! Come on, Amy says, pulling me away. I can't take my eyes off the door. What did I do? Amy puts her finger to her lips and has me follow her toward the sports and rec entrance. We're trapped if we go in there, I whisper. The door rattles against the chair. It does it again. Amy and I remain frozen. Someone pounds on the door. Open up, kid, Phoenix says in his unmistakable Boston accent. Amy shakes her head and mouths. Don't talk. Time's up for you two, Phoenix says. You're just making this worse. We slowly back up to the sports and rec arena, our eyes on the chair that's keeping Phoenix out. The door rattles again. For you and your families, Phoenix says. Amy and I slip into the main entry room. Stay still as our eyes adjust to the dark. There's so much in here. Lots of places to hide. I say, Weapons and a good hiding place. We've got to hurry, she says. I doubt those other doors were locked. The video game arcade across from us is twice the size of the one by the pool, but there won't be anything in there to defend ourselves with. The half-dozen ping-pong tables next to the arcade are useless, and the indoor golf run is too open. Plus, those golf clubs can't do any real damage. Amy heads toward the six-lane bowling alley to the right. I want to go with my natural element and say, How about the batting cage? Go, she says. I'll be right there. We should stick together. The cages have plenty of places to hide. Don't worry, she says as she runs to the alley. We'll hear them. This place is deathly quiet. No chance of being surprised. I say... Just be careful. To my left's the long bar with all the baseball memorabilia above it. If the lights were on, I could name every player whose photo is displayed. But not now. Right now, I can barely even think. They've got my family. The bar leads into a small coffee shop, which is just as dark. I pass the last booth and the crackle of the PA system makes me jump. This is your captain speaking. Crow says, his cold voice cutting through me. Attention, everyone. If you have a daughter named Amy, and she isn't beside you, you must immediately report to the sports and recreation area at the back of the boat. I check behind me, but don't see Amy anywhere. Crow repeats the message and says, There are only three Amys on this ship. If you want to see your Amy ever again, you better hurry. We're having a little family reunion you do not want to miss. I hurry past the sauna and locker room, both with padlocks on the doors. Directly across from the three separate batting cages is a small concession stand with a soda fountain and a tap with three pole handles for beer. My stomach grumbles when I glance at the menu. A small receiving desk sits beside the first cage. I rummage through the drawers and find a ring of keys. I head for the locked equipment room, stopping when I hear what sounds like a door opening a room or two over. I pause for a few seconds, 
Don't hear anything else and just hope it's Amy. It only takes a few tries to find the key for the equipment room. The big chicken wire door opens and I'm in. To my left is a rack of bats. Lots of lengths and styles. Wood, aluminum, composite metals. I settle on a newer aluminum model. A little more heavy duty than a wooden one. But if I'm defending myself, it may give me the edge. On the right is the protective gear. I find a catcher's mask and batting helmet that fit. Too bad they don't have shin guards or a catcher's vest, although none of them will stop a bullet or arrow. Still no sight of Amy. All my attention on the coffee shop exit. I stop beside the entrance to the second from last batting cage. It is so dark inside no one will see us. There's a loud bang like a door on a wall. I back into the cage, which is an indoor version of a clubhouse. There are benches installed down the center. Tables are built into nooks. Screens hang above the cages for live feeds. I hear running and peek out, see Amy jogging and carrying a blue bowling ball. The lights flash on and I'm blinded. I squint them open and spot Amy hovering by the concession stand. Oh my, Crow says, his voice carrying in the silence. Isn't this nice? Rich pricks even have their own bowling alley. Amy's crouching behind the stand and can't see me. I whisper her name, but she doesn't hear. You do not move from this door, Crow says. No one leaves. Yes, sir, Chicken says in his nasally whine. Amy finally sees me. I wave for her to crouch down to hide because I don't want them seeing her cross to the cages. Plus, it's probably better if we're not both stuck in here. She nods and disappears beneath the counter. With the lights on, it'll be too easy to see me. I back up until I'm behind the wall and peeking through the chain-link fence. The seconds drag as I try to breathe, to calm my heart, to ignore the ache and complete exhaustion. Dylan, Crow says, sounding closer. Come on out. I can see the concession stand and Amy's shoes sticking out the far side. The only way they'll see her is if they walk this far. I don't see anyone approaching. Crow says, Be a good boy and come say hi to your family. More like goodbye, Phoenix says with a chuckle. I hear footsteps but can't make out how many. They're definitely getting closer. Ow! A woman shrieks. Why? Recognizing the voice, chills race up my spine. The bastard has my mom. Listen up, Crow says. The only chance any of you are leaving this room alive is if your son comes out right now. I can kill your daughter first, so you see he's serious, Phoenix offers. I can't, Mom says through tears. She coughs a bit too, and I can't help but be worried she's caught the heliovirus. She coughs again, and it's deep and dry. In my gut, I know she's not getting better, and won't unless she gets the proper help. Last chance! Crow says. There's a muffled scream. Calm down, tough guy, Phoenix says. There's a loud thump and Mom screams. Don't hurt him. He can barely breathe. Do as you told, Phoenix says. Dylan, Mom shouts. Dylan, I don't know what to do. <laughs> she coughs again. Well done, Crow says. Dylan, you've got until the count of ten. Amy's head pokes out from the side of the counter. She waves me down, her eyes begging me to stay hidden.
Time to make a decision. To listen to Amy and stay hidden, go to chapter 51. To announce myself and confront Crow, go to chapter 52. Crow's down to five and Amy's still waving me down, shaking her head. Four! I know he's going to kill me, but I walk around the wall, stopping halfway to the cage's exit. They still can't see me. Three! I yell. Wait! Well, 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 Crow says. Not a complete coward after all. Amy disappears behind the concession stand. Mom walks into view in her fuzzy white pajamas, chest arced with Crow's crossbow pressing into her back. She does not look well. Damn it. Now I'm pretty sure her virus is getting worse. She needs medical care as soon as possible. I clutch my bat but can't move from the shadows. Now don't be scared, Crow says. Show yourself. June's pushed into the concession counter, duct tape across her mouth. Usually she walks with her chin down, but it's aimed straight up because Phoenix is tugging on her ponytail. Phoenix says, Amy, you can come out too. He holds his automatic pistol to June's head. Look, I've got a friend for you to play with. Mom says, Just stop it. Crow pushes Mom to her knees, aims at her head. I catch that her eyes are bloodshot. This is getting old, he says, all patience gone. I shout, In here! Cage two! Phoenix says, Hurry up! Get out here! I stop a foot from the entrance, but I'm still gripping the bat. Phoenix chuckles. Look at Mr. All-Star. Crow! Chicken calls out from the other room. Got her dad! Escort him back, Crow shouts, his sick smile genuine. He can watch. Let my kids go, Mom begs. Crow aims at Mom and fires. Mom falls flat on her back and shrieks. I thank God the arrow's stuck in the wall behind her. Shut up, Crow says as he kicks Mom's leg. Mom covers her mouth with her forearm to muffle her sobs. Crow waits until she's looking at him before he says, Not another word. Phoenix tugs June's hair hard enough to make her scream. He aims his gun at me. Let's see some hustle. Come save your family, slugger. Crow breaks open the crossbow and locks in an arrow he just drew from his right coat pocket. Three or four seconds for him to reload and aim at Mom's head. He tells me, Throw the bat down in there. Goading him like I did Vulture will only get Mom killed, and the bat's useless at this range. I toss it onto the couch beside the entrance and show them my hands. Phoenix says, Keep coming. Each step takes forever, my mind flashing through images of their friends I killed, knowing payback is coming. Mom and Crow are about ten feet away. The concession stand in Phoenix an extra twenty. I step out of the cage, wait for Crow to act. He lowers the bow and looks me over, shakes his head. A stupid kid. Any other time I might have defended myself, but Crow's right. I could have avoided all of this. I didn't have to bring in my family. Each of my choices has led to where we are right now. We're all about to die because I'm a stupid kid. He says, What? No last words? Hold on! 
A man in a blue windbreaker shouts from the coffee shop, chicken right beside him with his gun drawn. There's been a mistake. Phoenix turns June so they're both facing that direction. Only mistake is letting your daughter out of your sight, he says. I never met Amy's dad, and have no idea if this guy is him. He looks ten years older than my dad, and he's not much taller than Chicken. My daughter's in my cabin, the man says. That's what I'm trying to tell you. It's some kind of mistake. Crow says, I said to come if your daughter was not in your cabin. The man lowers his head, the light reflecting off his bald spot. Oh, he looks up at Crow and asks, So can I go? No way, Crow says with a nod to Chicken. No witnesses. Chicken presses the gun into the man's ribs and says, Sorry, but... The man spins around Chicken, one hand on the gun, the other reaching inside his own jacket. Phoenix pushes June, who stumbles on top of Mom and crashes to the floor face first. He aims at the man using Chicken as a shield, the two of them spinning in a circle, fighting for the weapon. On the second spin, the man pulls out his own gun and presses it against Chicken's back, tries to spin him around. Crow says, Shoot him! Each blast shakes me as Phoenix goes rapid fire. Five, ten, fifteen shots. Both Chicken and the hero go down. Amy runs around the far end of the stand, the shiny blue bowling ball clutched to her chest. She goes straight for Phoenix, who's turning to face her, only about eight feet between them. Phoenix raises his gun, but Amy's already left her feet, launches the ball like a two-handed shot put. I turn away too late, the ball destroying Phoenix's face, leaving him a motionless, bloody mess on the ground. Amy's on her hands and knees, scrambling when she sees Crow aiming at her. She's almost to the corner of the stand, but he's locked on. Finger squeezing. I scream, Watch out! Crow tenses, and his shot goes right, the arrow burying itself in the back of the soda taps, fizzy brown sugar water pouring out. Amy disappears behind the stand, but there's nowhere for her or June to go. Crow cracks open the bow, which gives me maybe two seconds. He'll beat me in a fight and could stab me with the arrow, so I disappear inside and snatch up the bat, run behind the back wall, praying he'll attack me and not the girls. I yell, Now who's the coward? The wall is about ten feet across, and Crow could come around either side. Only thing in my favor is that he'll only have one shot. No one's speaking, but there are footsteps. Dylan! June screams. He's coming! He's right-handed and will most likely come around the wall to my left. I face that way and assume my batting stance. Bat up and ready. The footsteps are softer, slower. He's trying to sneak. I've got to stay cool, stay calm, pretend I'm at bat, separate my body from my mind. Don't think, just be in the moment. There's nothing but my heartbeat, calm and controlled. I regrip the bat and move up and down. I inch forward until I'm only four feet from the edge of the wall. The second I see that bow turn the corner, I'm swinging. There's movement in front of me, so I let it rip, checking my swing because it's just a baseball bouncing off the wall, rolling past my feet. Crow's cruel laugh cuts through me. I spin to face him, the crossbow about six feet away, out of my range. I'm stuck in no man's land and he's going to shoot. My only choice is to charge.
Crow fires and the arrow hits my helmet, the blow knocking me back. But I'm still on my feet, my head ringing. I hear Coach Harris yelling, Shake it off! But when I open my eyes, there's only Crow, who's gripping an arrow like a knife. Crow steps forward. Two more steps and he'll be able to stab me. One more step and he'll be in my range. Crow's foot comes down and I swing for the fences. My aim is pure. The bat arcs, connecting right above his ear. The cracking sound like breaking glass. He puts a hand up toward the impact spot and falls. The look of surprise on his face is almost worth everything we've been through. Crow's curled in a fetal position. He twitches, twice, three times. His eyes are as large as softballs, and they're locked on mine. His mouth moves, but no sound comes out. He's scared. I raise the bat. He's mouthing even faster, trying to raise his arm, but barely moving it. One more hit, and he's out of his misery. I steal myself, taking a breath. Hey, Dylan, Dad says from behind me. You can put that down now. Crow's eyes are shut, the crossbow out of his reach. I lower the bat, but don't let it go. Dad's skin is a blotchy red where the duct tape had been. He scoops up the crossbow and says, Let's get out of here. Everything is numb and I want to collapse. Okay. Dad points at the bat. Why don't you leave that there? I shake my head. We don't know if they're all dead. Plus, this is my souvenir. Mom's coughs turned out to be what I'd feared. She has the heliovirus. Dad tested positive for it too, even though he's asymptomatic. They're now quarantined. Here's the thing, though. Amy and I also took the rapid test, and the results came back negative, both for the active virus and for having the antibodies in our system. Dad has the antibodies, though, which makes sense. Amy's dad has a similar story. Not sick, but carrying antibodies. What can I tell you, she says. We're special, and I knew there was something deep that connected us. Do you think we're immune? I ask. Is that it? Maybe not immune in the traditional sense, she says. But there's something there, right? About to leave the Aria, we look out onto the terrestrial world just a half mile from the ship. Even though it's daytime, we don't see any lights or any cars driving around. What's going on with the world? She asks. Amy's dad nods. We've lost all communication with land, he says through his mask. Even our emergency channels aren't being answered. We need more tests, more meds. We're running out of food and people are going to need to disembark soon. That's where we come in, I say. Right? Right, her dad says. I smile. I'd shake your hand, but social distancing and all. We both laugh a little. Good of you, young man, he says. Be fast and be safe, okay? Is that an order? Amy asks. It is, he replies. From the top. She hugs him. Thanks, Dad. I love you. We won't be gone long. I add, I'll keep her safe. Promise. They let go and he puts his hands on her cheeks. My little girl, he says. So proud of you. I know you're going to do this. I just do. I am, Dad. 
Count on it. Amy pats the knife at her side. I have this, and I have Dylan. I laugh. Pretty sure she's going to be the one to keep us safe, I say. She's a total badass. There's a moment of silence. Shoot, I say. I didn't mean to say. If she weren't my badass daughter, he says, I wouldn't be letting her go. We all laugh somewhat nervously. Then we head off. We're down the ramp in no time. When we reach the bottom, we look back. Amy's dad looks tired, and if I'm to be honest, a little scared. At the end of the ramp, we see a yellow boat. It's more of a capsule, though, as the entire vessel is covered. I know this is so that it can be totally enclosed in the open and rough seas. Reminds me of a giant yellow pill, Amy says. Sure does, I say. When we get to the craft, it's moving up and down in the choppy water pretty severely. Takes a little navigating to climb inside, but we do. The pilot assists, but also keeps a hand on the wheel. A deckhand shuts the door just as we sit down and buckle up. The entire interior of the boat also seems made mostly of molded plastic. Again, I'm betting it's to keep it afloat in extreme conditions. We're untied and we motor away. It's strange to really feel the waves again, Amy says over the noise. True, I say. Should only be a few minutes to shore, the pilot says. Hang in there. I think about my mom and how fast and deadly the heliovirus is for some people. Our work is going to be crucial in helping her and many others, even possibly saving their lives. We dock within moments, just as the pilot told us. There's a deckhand waiting there, too. He tethers the vessel. We can see him through the huge plastic windows. All right, the pilot says. Best to you two. Please be safe out there. He stops the engine and assists in opening the door and helping us out. On deck, we can see the Aria. It looks fake, like it's another world away. I can't believe we just got through that and didn't die, Amy says. I hold her hand, mostly for my own comfort. I know, I say. It's crazy. We turn and face the empty decks and wharf in front of us. The whole world is missing, she says. This just doesn't seem real, does it? Not one bit. I say, taking a step forward with her. It's like the entire world just died while we were on that ship. Well, we're still alive, she says, and we can save the others. Come on. We hurry across the wharf, looking like two lone tourists on a foggy San Francisco morning. Only we're on a mission. The world ahead holds the keys and tools for us and the crew to save so many people. We just have to try not to die in the heliovirus apocalypse looming ahead in the hills and the city. If we stayed alive after that attack on the Aria, I ask, how hard is it going to be in San Francisco? We'll see, Amy says. We'll see. The End And a New Beginning